I'll tell you, this is a very special event. Churches do many different kinds of events every year. But I think a men's conference is probably the most important event of the year. And it's most special and it's very strategic. And why do I say that? Because of the roles that God has called us to play. We are the leaders of our homes. We are the leaders of the church. There is to be a very strong male presence in the church. Very strong male leadership. And I'm telling you, if the enemy can take guys out, he can do a lot of damage. So anything that's put together to build the guys up, like a men's retreat or a men's conference, strategic. Would you bow your heads with me and pray? Lord, I pray for each one of my brothers here. The fight is real. The enemy comes against us. Lord, encourage each one of my brothers here this day. Build them up. Strengthen them. Encourage them greatly, Lord. Use them in fantastic ways in this community, in their church, in their families. Lord, build up your men. Lord, please speak to us in a wonderful way. As you already have, continue to speak to us and encourage us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works in doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility. So my topic is sound doctrine. Standing firm in sound doctrine, guys. So let's break that down, shall we? First of all, if we're going to stand firm in sound doctrine, then we need to know sound doctrine. And if we're going to know sound doctrine, that means we have to study sound doctrine, right? And where is the source of all sound doctrine? You're holding it. The Word of God, the Bible. So, as Sean has already alluded to, we have to know our Bibles. We have to. And we must be dedicated, diligent, consistent students of Scripture. And you need to really work at it. Really work at it. Listen to what Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2. And listen to the action words. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Did you hear the urgency? Be diligent. Be a very hard worker. Rightly dividing the word of God. In other words, being able to cut into the word of God. The idea is being able to break it down. Being able to break 
the Bible down into all of its pieces, look at each piece individually, and then put it all back together. It's knowing the Old Testament, the New Testament, the differences, how they complete one another, the foreshadowing. It's seeing the forest of the scripture as well as the trees. It's being able to look at the big picture principles of scripture and then also being able to drill down to the finely tuned specifics. We are being called to become literally scholars, experts in God's word. And that's not just for pastors, by the way. For all of us. So turn off the TV, put your phone away, and begin to study God's word in a passionate way. And never forget, it's a lifelong commitment. The word of God is supposed to literally fill us and overflow us. Literally. Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, I love this. Let, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. In all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. The the Greek is so huge there. It's literally let it dwell in you richly so that it's overflowing. And I love that word, let it. Guys, listen, you don't have to be afraid of the Bible. It's living and active. And what Paul says is it literally wants to get in you and overflow you. Let it. How do you let it? Open it. Read it. Give yourself to it. It's so exciting to know that we can know God's word. God wants you to know his word, don't you think? Let it. Give yourself to it. Overflowing in your life. Charles Spurgeon said this of John Bunyan. He complimented him. He said, read anything of his and you will see that it is almost like reading the Bible itself. Prick him anywhere and you will find that his blood is bibbling. The very essence of the Bible flows from him. He cannot speak without quoting a text for his soul is full of the word of God. I love that. Your blood as a Christian should be bibbling. If you're going to know sound doctrine and stand firm in it, you have to study it. So yes, attend Bible teaching churches. Listen to good Bible teaching. And study the Bible for yourself. Depending upon the Holy Spirit to teach you. Amen? Now, of course, remember that studying the Bible is not meant just to give you head knowledge. What are we supposed to do with the knowledge that we get? Apply it and live it. Never forget what James said. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Study it, memorize it, 
and then apply it and live it. Be a living Bible on display. Okay? And then with all of that, stand firm in sound doctrine. Don't let anything change it. And I want to remind you of a very important principle of the scripture of the Bible in its totality. And that's because we need to be reminded of these things because of the society in which we live. And this is this. This is what I want you to know. The word of God does not change from generation to generation. Does it? Sound doctrine does not change from generation to generation. The morals of the Bible don't change from generation to generation. And you know what kind of society we're living in. The society hates God's word. And there's a big portion of society, including many Christian denominations and communities, quote unquote, that are beginning to teach that the Bible is an outdated book. And the argument goes like this. The Bible is an ancient book. It was written thousands of years ago. It was for a culture thousands of years ago. It was for society thousand years ago. But we've, we've moved beyond that. We're in a different culture, a different society. We've evolved. I would actually use the word devolved. And so some of the sins described in the Bible, well, they were for those older days, but not for today. And so the Bible's definition of marriage was great for its time. But we have a new definition of marriage. Or what the Bible says about sexuality and things like that, that was good back then. But in our day and age, we have a whole new way of looking at sexuality. The Bible speaks about two genders. God created man, male and female. By the way, you can prove that with science. Two genders. <laughs> but our society has evolved. We have more than two genders. You know, the Bible talks about the authority structure of the home and a church. But we live in a different age now. And there's a different way to look at authority and all of that. And there are a lot of people that have bought into that. And it's even getting more and more serious, as you know. We are heading towards a point where eventually when a pastor or a Christian stands up for traditional biblical values, they can be accused of hate speech. It's coming. In fact, we're keeping a really good eye on what's going on in California. A committee in the California State Assembly has passed a resolution telling pastors to affirm homosexuality, which for many pastors would be a violation of biblical beliefs. Assemblyman Evan Lowe and three dozen other lawmakers pushed the resolution in the State Assembly Judiciary Committee. 
that's aimed at telling religious leaders in California what they should preach. There's coming a day when you stand up for the morality is found in scripture. You could be accused of hate speech, arrested. It's coming. Stand firm in sound doctrine. We are not to adapt the Bible to what is acceptable by society, are we? Society is to adapt is to adapt to what the Bible says acceptable. Amen? The Bible doesn't change from generation to generation. You get all that, you get all that doctrine. You study it. You live it. And you stand firm in it as it's written. Hold true. It's going to become harder and harder. Those who do that will become a minority. I think that is a very good characteristic of last days, or a terrible characteristic, I should say. But we're going to be those who stand firm in sound doctrine. Okay, standing firm in sound doctrine means that we need to defend sound doctrine in our society. And I'll tell you what, that is getting crazy, isn't it? How dicey that's getting. Society is sick. The culture is sick. All of the issues that we're inundated with day after day, the abortion issue, the LGBTQ agenda, the marriage issue, legalizing drugs issue, uh, all of the pushing of Christian values out of schools, courtrooms, government. There is a hatred toward Christianity and biblical principles that is palatable. Do you feel it? So I ask you the question, how do you and I defend sound doctrine in a society like that? With all of the gotchas, with all of the issues. How do we defend sound doctrine effectively I want to read a few verses out of Ephesians chapter 4. Let me just read it to you. Just listen. And there's a phrase that I'm going to highlight. Paul writes, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But listen to this. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. I want to suggest to you that you and I in our society and in defending sound doctrine, we need to, we need to speak the truth 
in love. And we need to desperately do that in perfect balance. You hear that? You're out there in society and you're defending sound doctrine. Speak the truth in love and avoid the extremes. You know, I know a lot of Christians who speak doctrine. They speak the truth. They're great at doctrine, but they don't do it in love. In fact, I know Christians that get really good at defending doctrine. And they do it almost in a spirit of hatred and arrogance and with this condescending looking down on the stupid pagan attitude. That doesn't help. I'm not a big Facebook guy. I'm not a social media guy. I do have it and I'm, I'm mostly a stalker. I just see what everyone else is doing, but I never, I never put anything out there on my own. But I do notice there are some posts, there are some Christian posts that are absolutely truthful, and they're good, and they're sound. But they also uh, display an air of arrogance and a, and a gotcha right back and a look how stupid you are. And, it's, and some of these posts are given to generate a real ugly discussion that will go on afterwards. It's not going to help. Speak the truth, but speak it in love. I had a friend growing up when we were in high school, and he had this shirt, a Christian friend of mine, and he had this shirt with the fires of hell burning on it. And in those horror blood, bloody letters, that format, it said, turn or burn. And he wore that to school. How effective do you think that was? Turn or burn, you creeps. You wretched sinners. Now, is that true? Do we need that? Absolutely. In love. That truth needs to be communicated in love. I know if I have a brother who thinks all Democrats are demon-possessed. <laughs> he calls them the demon-crats, you know? Now, he might be right with some of them. <laughs> but is that how you go about and fight the battle? Calling people demon-possessed? I had a blessing like, I've, I mean, I, I never saw this one coming. Um, this February, this last February, through some events, I was able to go to the Super Bowl free of charge. I went on all expenses Super Bowl weekend free with this group of people. And I, I, I had no idea how that would work out. But we were in Atlanta. We were staying across uh, the street from the stadium. And as you can imagine, everyone's in Atlanta and you, we walked out the hotel, and you're, you're, you're going around. You can barely get through people. And there's protests everywhere. There are groups and protests everywhere. One of the biggest groups was a group that was protesting circumcision. And I, I still can't figure that one out. 
Why, I don't know why they do that. But this, I mean, everything's being protested. Well, there's also a lot of street preachers out there. And I will tell you, a lot of them were good. They weren't the hellfire brims, you know. They were just real casual out there preaching the gospel. Like I think we should. And in fact, I even went over and encouraged some of them. And then there was a group that calls themselves Christian. And they were holding up signs that disgusted me. One guy's holding a sign. We're men here, PG-13, or even above. But this sign says, God still hates fags. How does that work? And you know what? It cast a cloud over all the guys that were doing it right. Gang, it's very emotional. It's very ugly out there. It's so easy to get heated. And you want to go out there and you want to fight. And you want to win. And you want to defend the faith. And you want to defend sound doctrine. And defend sound doctrine, we shall. But we should do it in love. Amen. In love. I, I, I just invest... I just... I, I challenge you to examine the way you're defending sound doctrine in this world right now. Defend it, but are you defending it in love? Do you recognize that we're defending sound doctrine in front of people who don't know the Lord? People who are hurting? Should we show them some love? Or just beat them up and win our political fight? Speak truth in love. And then avoid the other extreme. There's other people that, well, it's all about love, man. Just come on in. Do whatever you want. We'll embrace you. And you know what's going on. Churches inviting people that should be leaders that aren't le shouldn't be leaders. Because on the other hand, you have to speak tough words sometimes, don't you? And you may offend somebody. And that'd be called tough love. It's a perfect balance that's required. Speak the truth in love. And my brother, I wish I could sit here and give you a little formula, a little step-by-step -step process to tell you exactly how to walk that tightrope. Here's the steps you need to follow. I can't. But you know what I can tell you? You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And you must learn to depend upon the Holy Spirit on a case-by-case -case basis as you defend sound doctrine in this community and in this world. The Holy Spirit has to be the one that says, I'm going to go, you need to go harder with this person. Now you need to back up with this person. The Holy Spirit will tell us how to say what needs to be said with the right tone, at the right time, in the right measure. You want, to live, you want to live in balance? Speaking the truth in love? 
You better know the truth and you better be listening to the power, to the voice of the Holy Spirit inside you. You know, I think of uh, Jesus. Remember how he was hassled? Even in public settings. Remember how he was put in the ultimate gotchas? Should we pay taxes to Caesar? Remember that one? Give me a coin. What do you got? That's Caesar. Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Give to God what belongs. Don't you wish you could come up with things like that? You can. By listening to the Holy Spirit. I mean, hitting it just right. That perfect balance of truth and love. I also believe as we're speaking in this, uh, in this environment, I really do believe as Christians, we need to be known more for what we're for than what we're against. I really do. You know all of the issues, you know all of the labels, and you know how this world wants to pigeonhole you as, you know, just, you're just one of those pro-lifers you're anti-gay and they want to pigeonhole you so in that way they can uh, you know really you know lump you in with a group of what they call hateful people listen I we don't want to be known as just anti one sin I think I'm, I'm anti all sin aren't you I've told people I'm not a Homophobe, I'm a cynophobe. I'm afraid of all sin. All sin is destructive. We need to be preaching against all sin. And I think that as Christians, instead of being known as anti, I mean, I'm I, on the abortion issue, I'm with life, absolutely. But I, do I want to be known as, here comes Terry. Oh, that's the anti-abortion guy. Oh, or there's that church. They're the anti-abortion church. Oh, here comes Terry. He's the anti-gay guy. Or that church is the anti-gay church. Do we want to be known as that? Though we agree with biblical lifestyles? I think we... We need to be known more as pro-Jesus. Pro-gospel. We need to be out there sharing the gospel. Sharing Jesus. When we come along, oh, there's the pro-Jesus guy. And you share the gospel with people because, let, let's, let's be honest, what, what changes the hearts of people? Winning, winning a political fight or the gospel. You got to get the gospel to them and then all those other issues get taken care of, right? Again, this tightrope, this wisdom in relating with people. I think one of my heroes is Franklin Graham. I really like Franklin Graham. Think about where he's in the public eye and how he's been put in the ultimate gotchas. He's very good at always turning the conversation back to what? The gospel. Have you seen him do it? He's a master at it. They'll ask him, do you believe homosexuality is a sin? On national TV. And he'll say something like this. Yes, I do, but it's one of many sins. 
And the Bible teaches that we are all sinners. I'm a sinner. God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for the sins of the world. You can be forgiven. Would you like to receive Jesus as your savior and have your sins forgiven? I mean, that's a real quick response, but I think that's a wonderful pattern. Move discussions to the gospel. Move discussions to Jesus. Find that balance. Pray for that wisdom. Okay, here's another question then that I'd like to ask. How do we defend sound doctrine within the church? Among other believers. Should Christians be fighting one another a whole lot? Okay, let's be clear to what I'm speaking. I'm not speaking about the, you know, the non-negotiable doctrines. You know, the orthodox tenets of the Christian faith, the deity of Christ, the Trinity, the atonement. You know, you know what I'm talking about? The creed. We defend those to the death. But what about other things? I mean, do Christians agree about everything perfectly? Do we all believe, have the same interpretations of the Bible? Does every Christian believe that the last days is going to end up the way it does every Christian have a perfect understanding of how free will and a divine election work together? And we're all in just perfect agreement over that? Does every Christian believe uh, about, you know, the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the spirit outpouring of the spirit and the spiritual gift? Do they all have the same? And should we run around fighting each other over that? Here's my, my, my belief. I believe that all of us as students of the Bible should have firm convictions on all of those doctrines that I just mentioned and even be able to defend them. But I do believe that you should find that church where you fit and run the race with that church that has that set of beliefs rather than trying to teach all the other churches how to come into line with what you believe. Listen, I'm Calvary Chapel. I have been my whole life. And I'm Calvary Chapel for a reason. I adhere the doctrines of Calvary Chapel. And I will defend them. But do we need to be fighting each other over those kinds of doctrines? Well, let me read to you just a few verses Again, Paul speaking to Timothy, listen carefully, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all. 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul writes, if anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness. He is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words. 
from which come envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions. Titus 3, avoid foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions, and strivings about the law. For they are unprofitable and useless. A lot of fighting over words can generate a lot of strife. Years ago, I was returning from a, a senior pastor's conference in California, Calvary Chapel Conference. And I brought with me two guys that were being trained up in the ministry, two assistant pastors for their first conference. And I was coming back and we were waiting in line uh, to get on the plane. And I was with another dear friend of mine, another dear Calvary Chapel pastor. And we're in line and we started talking about free will and divine election. And we soon discovered, even as Calvary Chapel pastors, we had slightly different opinions and it got ugly. It got heated. I literally got spitting mad. And so did he. I'm glad we didn't have the boxing skills of Ebo. We might have gotten in a fight. We raised our voices. We beat each other up. And eventually I turned around and looked at those two guys that, were, that I brought with me and they were like this. Was it worth it? Was that ugliness worth it? Over an issue that, come on, I don't care how smart you are. Over an issue that hasn't been completely figured out in the last 2,000 years. You're going to kick people over it? You know, beat up a brother in Christ. Now again, balance. Not to say that you don't have an opinion and that you don't have a defense and that you can't have healthy dialogues, but it can't escalate to that. By the way, we made up. We're good friends now. He came to see things the way... No, I'm just kidding. I'm just... I'm totally kidding. I'm totally we can get along. We don't have to, we, we shouldn't be out fighting over, over things like that. I have another friend, um, his name is Todd Peterson. He's a dear, dear friend of mine, a brother in Christ. I love him dearly, he loves me. We met each other through baseball. Um, my son and his son were on the same baseball teams. And so you know all the tournaments and the traveling around we did. Todd is a leader and an elder at a reformed church in El Paso, Texas. I'm a Calvary Chapel pastor. We know how each other feel. And we don't really breach that. We sort of celebrate, you know, what we hold dear. And he's a wonder, I mean, he's, he's an awesome brother. I love him. He loves me. It's kind of like one of these things we've, we, we've agreed to disagree. And we won't go there. 
and he's been a great friend. In fact, it was funny. We were traveling to a tournament one day. He was driving, and my son, I think he was eight, he, out of the blue, he says, Mr. Todd, Mr. Todd, why do you go to a deformed church? <laughs> and I thought, oh, no. I laughed. You know who laughed the loudest? Mr. Todd. Mr. Todd. Water off my back, man. I think all of the energy, all of our energy, should be going into reaching a lost world with the gospel message. That sound doctrine. Amen. Amen. Real quick, don't be a one doctrine Christian. You ever met a one doctrine Christian? This is the Christian that is just so excited about one doctrine that they think everyone else on the planet needs to be just as excited about them as their doctrine. Maybe it's eschatology. Maybe it's uh, prophecy. And as a preacher, I meet one doctrine Christians all the time. These are the guys that come up to me after every sermon and say, why didn't you talk about prophecy? It's the one doctrine Christian. Or there's the Christian who thinks, you know, the one doctrine is the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the spiritual gifts. There was a guy at our church for many years, and, and he, was, he was a messianic background. Totally into the law, the Old Testament law, and how it's being fulfilled, and, and all that real interesting stuff. But that's all he ever wanted to talk about. One doctrine Christians can cause a lot of trouble. Don't be one. My dad shared with me, I was blessed to have a Christian dad growing up. And he shared with me an illustration that I never forgot. I'm certain he got it from, from someone else, but I'm going to say it was from my dad. And he said, all of the doctrines of the Christian faith spread out in front of you like a deck of cards. And always be careful to see the whole deck. Don't ever take one card out and plaster it right there. And walk around in life. Put the cards down. Take one doctrine up. Look. Another one over here. Look. Look at it all. Keep it all in balance. And that would take us all the way full circle back to rightly dividing the word of God. Right? Piece by piece. In perfect balance. Let me pray for you guys. Let's, let's bow our heads. Father, I pray that you would go ahead of us. And I do pray in this crazy world that you would empower every single one here by your Holy Spirit to speak truth in love. Help us, Lord. Father, I also pray that we would never let up on studying your word. And Lord, I also pray that you would help us as Christians to pick battles wisely among each other. Make us strong. Make us wise. Make us discerning. In Jesus' name. 
Amen.